We live in a fantasy world now. Reality has been destroyed. This is the time that we really need to pay attention. The probabilities are overwhelmingly on gold's side. That is the best environment to see gold increase its value. Welcome to Palisades Gold Radio. I'm your host, Tom Bodrovix. Joining me today is returning guest, David Brady, former money manager, Sprott Money and Silver Chartist contributor, and an expert on all things gold and silver. Thanks for joining me today, David. Oh, it's great to be with you again, Tom. So your last article was titled, Powell Pulls a Surprising 180. And in it, you point out that Powell made statements that financial conditions have certainly tightened. This was jaw-dropping for two principal reasons, as you wrote. Firstly, it's simply not true. Financial conditions are as easy as they were when the Fed funds rate was at zero. So what are you looking at that makes you say that? Well, you just stated it. He said that uh, certainly financial conditions have tightened, which is he's referring to you know, QT and the level of interest rates. Mm -hmm. But... If you look at what financial conditions means, it's with uh, it's based on how the stock market is doing, the bond market, the dollar, and so forth. Well, the dollar just fell from 115 down to 100. The stock market is going straight back up. The bond yields are coming off. So when they were put together by Liz Saunders, she showed that Financial conditions haven't tightened at all. In fact, they're as easy as when the rates were at zero. That's the fact. She she provided the 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 the, the index showing it, mm -hmm. and he stands up and he says, "Certainly, financial conditions and uh, tightened." Mm -hmm. And this is not the first time that Powell has come out and said such things. Like I, I, I'm sure you watched. Did you watch his um, speech at twelve o'clock today? He said some doozies. He said, uh, you know, the economy is strong. Yeah. Uh, have you looked at many uh, indexes recently, the uh, ISMs? It's not strong. Yeah, we got a bounce last month, but it's far from strong. Mm -hmm. And don't well, get me started on the labor market as well. That's actually really exactly where I wanted to go. You know, we see these big technology firms. I saw a chart today, you know, Amazon. Google, all of these Dell. different firms, Dell, yeah. laying off thousands of thousands of people, yet we get a positive employment market number. So how how does that, how do we square that, David? Seasonal adjustments. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't get me started on the employment data. I said my piece last Friday, and I don't get myself into trouble, but I think my comment was, give me a break. <laughs> Uh, uh ludicrous numbers so why did they come out so strong well it just reinforces what Powell was saying that the labor market's tight look it, it look it's not about reality it's about a narrative so you need the data to support the narrative ergo you seasonally adjust the numbers so they look better than they actually really are and that's seasonal adjustments i, I haven't even gotten into part-time versus full-time Mm -hmm. um, so going back to your question, uh, the, the reason why uh, I found his comments startling at the FOMC or, uh, conference call was because he said uh, financial conditions have certainly tightened. They have not. Uh, I know going into that, a lot of people expected, including me, him to be hawkish. 
But instead, because the financial conditions had softened, and especially the stock market was doing great, it's 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 going in one direction, and that's up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that totally undermines his policy since Jackson Hole in August. And yet, what did he do? He said, no, they've certainly tightened, so we don't need to address it, basically, which is dovish. Mm-hmm. And the market responded accordingly. So it's, I don't think we have to get into it anymore. It's pretty obvious. He basically said black is white. And well, I, it was a shocking statement, in my opinion. As you say, you know, where he says black is white, can you give us, you know, you wrote about some of the cases where he has basically contradicted himself from one meeting to the next. Well, you know, that's one way to put it. The other one way to put it is that his comments reflect a reality that doesn't exist on the ground. Um, And, you know, there are a number of times that I've said, when I go through a speech in a transcript after the fact, and I go, okay, wrong, 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 wrong. And the ancillary data, the empirical data, uh, confirms that what he is saying is just not true. So why are you saying it? And Bernanke said way back when, when you have to, when the data is so bad, you have to lie. And that's from a former Fed chair. So why wouldn't Powell continue that legacy? You know, that he's, it's more about maintaining confidence than telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I, I mean, we've got limited time and I want to get into more important topics, but the fact is that the economy is not doing well. The uh, employment is nowhere near, the labor market's nowhere near as tight as he alludes to. It's just uh, justification for their policies. Mm-hmm. Higher rates, uh, and it looks like we're going to get more rate hikes, and for longer. When, you know, look, look when we had recession last year, for example, two quarters in a row of negative uh, GDP. That's what not recession do? anymore, David. No, they changed the definition. <laughs> you know, oh, and I want to get into this today. You're probably going to, you know, address it, but I do want to mention it. Uh, uh, we need to talk about the change in the calculation of the CPI and its timing. That's a <laughs> huge deal because it, it, there's so many downstream impacts from that that we can talk about. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe let's let's get to that next, but I just want to kind of wrap up this idea about you know the the rate hikes and the fed and and their their impact on the markets do you think that we've actually started to see the or we're just starting to see the damage of the initial rate hikes like the the first rate hikes now in the market or does that does that chart of the financial conditions argue against that well it depends on who you are, right? If you're uh, somebody that bought a house in the past 12 months, you got and you stretched your budget to do so, you're probably struggling right now uh, because your mortgage rate has gone up double or triple. Uh, whereas if you're uh, well healed and you're invested in the stock market, you're smile- smiling from ear to ear. Mm-hmm. So it, it depends on where you are. My, look, the point of the financial conditions index is not a reflection of the reality on the ground. Because look at the factors, the stock market, the bond market, uh, the dollar. Now, they do 
affect us uh, peasants at the lower end of the ladder. But if you look at how people are doing uh, on a daily basis, they're struggling. Mm-hmm. Credit card balances are maxed out. Are they like the charge offs? Yeah, again. yeah, mm-hmm. and the charge offs are new highs as well, which basically means people couldn't pay their credit card, so they defaulted. Mm-hmm. You're seeing, uh, uh, I think, record high of uh, uh, car repos. Basically, the car has been taken away because they can't finance the the loan on it. Next comes foreclosures, um, but I don't think it's going to be this year. I think it's when we get the collapse going towards uh, the end of the, this year or going into early 2024. Mm-hmm. That's next. But look at what's happened to housing. Uh, it hasn't been so bad in the US. Uh, they haven't seen the level of uh, price drops that we've seen in uh, Canada. Mm-hmm. But I know people have seen their property in uh toronto the gta dropped 40 percent uh i was looking i'm here a little bit north of there around barry and we were looking at local properties it's just out of curiosity and i saw that there was a uh, 61 percent jump in properties on average around here in the past five years guess what they fell in the past 12 months 61 percent so that's just wiped out five years of gains now, uh, over the past 10 years, they're probably coming out a little bit ahead, but you, it just tells you what the policies that the central banks are pursuing. It's hitting the majority. The few well-heeled are doing great. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with that financial conditions index. It, it isn't addressing. It's the same with the whole, you know, uh, what do they call it? Trickle-down wealth policy. That didn't benefit the ordinary guy. It benefited the people who were already rich. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just the same right now. The people that get to use those dollars first. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the people who have spare dollars to invest mm-hmm. rather than those who are trying to put food on the table mm-hmm. or pay for gas in their car or pay their electricity bill. So, you know, going back to the other idea that you brought up of the, let's say, the recalculation or redesignation of CPI. You know, we're we're facing an environment here, or let's say we're facing the next couple months, where just the base effects in general are going to show inflation coming down, right? Yes. It's going to show it stop accelerating, not necessarily absolute price levels coming down, but just the the stopping of accelerating so so dramatically. Mm-hmm. If we redesignate or redefine CPI. Doesn't that make that entire metric completely meaningless? Not to them. <laughs> Again, it's a narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask a question to you. It's a, I shouldn't be asking the interviewer, but anyway, <laughs> uh, do you think the CPI, as a as a result of these adjustments to the CPI calculation, do you think the CPI number is going to be higher or lower? Well, it depends on who's in charge of the redesignation. Lower. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be lower because it benefits them. It's uh, It enables them to slow their rate hikes and declare success. Look, we brought down inflation. We got to 2%. It reduces their social security payments, it, you know, Medicare payments, a whole, a whole bunch of things. 
Meanwhile, if you look at Shadowstat's 1980 definition, we're still up near the teens. So it's going lower. Mm -hmm. Now, you just made a very good point. On a year-over-year basis, those comparisons are going to kick in here shortly. You're going to see year-over-year inflation come down. At the same time, if I'm right, they're going to lower the CPI through these uh, calculation adjustments. And specifically, the one that Powell mentioned today at 12 o'clock, I zeroed in on it, rents. They're going to adjust the rent numbers down. So you're going to get inflation down. So this is a very important topic because what this means going forward for policy and the impact on the markets and the economy is if we get lower inflation numbers going forward, what do you think the Fed does? It's going to pause. And if we, if and at some point something's going to break, but until then, I think the market stocks go up, yields go down, the dollar goes down with it. It's going to get a, a pop here, and I've been uh, calling for this for oh god a couple of months. It was early, but finally we're getting a, a pop in the Dixie, but it's going back down. I know the the jingoists expected. Oh no, it's going to one twenty, one thirty, and anything is possible. But my two cents: this was driven by the ECB being a little bit more dovish than the Fed and ludicrous employment numbers. And now we know. Well, we don't know, but it's a high probability that the CPI numbers, which the Fed focus on for their policy, are probably going down. So, how is that going to benefit the Dixie? It's not. It's going to go south again, and I think it's going to go sub 100 and maybe even sub 90. What do you think happens to gold and silver when that happens? So that that's where the that's why the CPI adjustment is so key because it has so many downstream effects. Mm-hmm. Stocks up, yields down, uh, Dixie down, metal precious metals. Up we go again. I've been calling uh, a quick aside here because gold and silver's my wheelhouse these days. Uh, I've been calling for a pullback for a couple of months. I was early mm-hmm. and I got hammered on Twitter for saying it. Well, now we're below the levels when I started talking about it. And I, I don't think it's done yet. I think the Dixie is going to go to 106 to 110. Uh, Powell's comments earlier certainly helped that. Um, and when that happens, when we get to that 106, 110 area, that'll be the peak in Dixie. And then it goes down again to the 90s. Well, gold and silver, uh, gold's coming off 1975 intraday, 1950 close. That was a big resistance. And then silver's been underperforming for a while. They're both going to continue lower. And then you get the same old nonsense. People start throwing in the towel off, you know, I give up, yada, yada, yada. When you should be buying hand and fist, backing up the trucks, renting them, borrowing them, whatever, and mm-hmm. buying, because what happens next? We just had wave one off 1618. We went up $357 to 1975 in gold, and we get a pullback. And you start throwing in the towel because the Dixie's going up and gold and silver are going down with the help of the bullion banks, I'm sure. As I said before, I think when they see Dixie go up, they're going to use that opportunity to slam the metals. Well, that was wave one. We had a correction since the peak of August 2020, 
uh, for two years, down to from 2089, a new record high, to 1618. Mm-hmm. And then we went up to 1975, and we get a pullback. And you're throwing in the towel? This is wave one we've just finished. Mm-hmm. What is this? Wave two. What happens after wave two? So it's this thing called the money wave. It's wave three. So while you're throwing in the towel, I'm buying everything you're selling because the next step is going up. The only way that doesn't play out is if we break 1750 support, then I'll start getting concerned. Mm-hmm. And then if we set a new lower low below 1618, even more so. But uh, there's no way, uh, there's no scenario whereby gold and silver don't go up dramatically in the next few years mm-hmm. um it's just a matter of time so uh, i just wanted to allude to that because that that cpi adjustment affects gold and silver too because that's a huge positive for gold and silver because it means that the fed's going to ease off and then when something breaks and it has to because we went through this on our previous call uh, tom the, the the laundry list of things that could go wrong is is beyond measure mm-hmm. One of them is going to come through to fruition. And when it does, and it could be just a, simply a, a flash crash in stocks. Maybe it's based on earnings. Who knows? Uh, war, whatever. And then they will pivot. And uh, when I say pivot in this case, back in November, when I anticipated the pivot, actually on our previous call back in October 22, uh, every time I'm on a call with you, with the, my forecasts tend to work out. So we need to more <laughs> of these calls. But uh, yeah, we got 3,500 bottom in the S&P. I, I watched it there a week ago and I was like, oh, wow. Um, uh, it's not that I don't have faith in my forecast, but when they work out so perfectly, it's great. But uh, going forward, um, I see gold and silver doing extremely well. We're just we're going into a bottom here shortly and it's going to take off. And it's this is only wave three. Then you got wave four pullback, and then you got wave five next. So wave three is typically bigger than the $357 you got in wave one. Mm-hmm. And then wave five is usually the same as wave three or higher in metals. It's unusual in that respect. Do the math. The risk reward is dramatically to the upside from here. And that CPI adjustment that we mentioned only aids it because they're going to ease off on policies because they're that the CPI, as you pointed out, is year over year is going to go down. Now you got a lower CPI thanks to the calculations. Rents will be marked down. And uh, when something goes wrong, they're going to uh, switch back to the uh, they're going to do a Fed 180, not pivot, Fed 180, when they're going to actually start cutting rates again and they'll ease off QT and then they're going to have to pivot back to QE. Now you're, it's game on. It's like you're back to 1980 gold and silver, straight up, mm-hmm. because all they're going to be doing is printing. And uh, just to finish that so, uh, you know, uh, point, my end game for all of this is that the tools that the central banks use, specifically the Fed, which is rate cuts and QE, no longer work. That stocks start going down despite them buying stocks, them buying bonds, they just keep going down. They'll get little pops, whatever, but the trend is down, uh, lower highs and lower lows. Mm-hmm. And 
the Fed eventually pulls the plug because they realize their rate cuts and their QE are doing nothing but pushing hyperstagflation even higher. And when they pull the plug, Great Depression, great reset, yada, yada, yada. Now, there's no other place to be. When that happens, there's no other place to be that you want to be other than gold and silver because stocks are down to zero. Uh, well, not zero. S&P to 1,000. But in real terms, with all the hyperstagflation, it's what, 20? Uh, th then you get uh, housing, 1930s. They basically went to zero, uh, which is great because you know nothing will be happy. They want to be able to pick up all those houses for next to nothing. Um, then you've got the dollar, gone, toast new global reserve currency, which will be gold-backed, by the way, because nobody's going to have any faith in any fiat currency at that point. So they have to do that. And bonds are totally worthless. They, their value has been hyperinflated away. Yeah, you got your 10% yield, but it won't buy you a can of Coke. Mm -hmm. So what's left? Precious metals. It's the only thing. So you can't print them. I'll so, stop there. <laughs> David, when we see such a dramatic the dramatic situation that you just described, does it become that way because it's it's been so long since we've really had a good cleansing of the system that has, you know, and this and the system has just been, you know, the can has just been kicked down the road so far. Yeah. And the problem is as a result of that, the debt has become unserviceable, unserviceable, to put it politely, mm -hmm. um, on steroids. So you had 1987 rescued this is the this is the balloon this is the bubble uh then you have the dot-com bubble rescued then you had 2008 rescued now we're in the everything bubble mm -hmm. and the debt is enormous uh, it, it's by the way another reason why they're lowering the cpi the interest cost and debt is just going bananas because the debt just keeps getting higher and higher and higher in fact you know what may trigger the actual collapse is everybody's expecting the debt ceiling debate. I'm just saying, throwing this out there. I'm not saying this is going to happen. Gets resolved. What if it doesn't? What if the people around the world question either explicit insolvency of the U.S. or implicit insolvency of the U.S.? In other words, they pass the debt ceiling and people still don't believe in the U.S. assets any longer. Mm -hmm. So uh, th th that's that's certainly something to consider as well. Well, I mean, trust always comes back to the use of any of these currencies or and or systems, right? Yeah, but uh, the, look, people say to me, you know, and I try to do it myself, is check uh, my beliefs. And when it comes to gold and silver, well, uh, is there any reason why they would go down instead of going up? That they're not the safe harbor that you anticipate them to be. I, I can't help you. Mm -hmm. there, there, I don't see any scenario where gold and silver go down. I mean, they can go down in the short term, sure. But longer term? No, It's the, everything else is going to get hosed. So everybody will flee to the safe assets because mm -hmm. they won't trust the currency. They won't trust stocks. They won't trust bonds. They won't trust anything but physical precious metals. The only issue you have to worry about if you're holding those is a policy of confiscation or massive well, uh, capital gains taxes on any transactions or wealth taxes. Nationalization whatever. of the miners. Yes, that's why I keep saying to the people on, on the sites I, I write for is that 
I'm 80% physical metals and only 20% miners uh, because, you know, it's hard to time the market, but if you don't time it correctly, there's two things. One, you make massive profits on the miners when they go up, but when you sell them, what are you getting? You're getting worthless fiat or increasingly worthless fiat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what if you hold on to them thinking that they're going to keep going up, 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 which is human nature. It's going up. I'm not going to jump out early. I'm going to wait till this thing runs to the end. Of, and then they get nationalized. Uh, will you get the actual price at the, the, on the day that they were nationalized or will it be backdated? And even if you do get the price on that day, when will you get paid your money? Maybe a month later? What's happened to the currency in the meantime? <laughs> yeah, look, that's the risk you run with miners that you don't have with the physical metals. So I'm not saying own them, but you're going to have to do a very good job of timing it because nobody knows when these policies are going to roll out. We never know what the government's going to do next. And if they decide tomorrow you know, to uh, nationalize the miners, are you going to be so... Have you have you a crystal ball that will tell you when that happens, such that you're able to sell before that? I don't know. My point is, you use miners to increase your gains on the upside, but don't get greedy, and make sure you have a big allocation to physical metals. Because when you say to yourself, "When I sell my miners, I'm going to go gold buy gold, physical gold and silver with the gains that I've made and so forth," mm-hmm. what if they're completely unavailable? They're gone. the The shelves are empty. <laughs> it's too late. Mm-hmm. You're left with a bunch of dollars. Great. That's wonderful. David, I'd like to go back, if we could, to talking a little bit about how you know you you saw this reversal. You you we saw that reversal from from the 1975 intraday, 1950 close level last week. And already in late January, you you were warning that gold was at a risk of an imminent reversal. So you essentially hit the nail on the head there. And I, I just want to get your ideas on if that rally was simply overbought and needed to to breathe and consolidate for the next steps ahead, what you're looking for. I, I know sentiment is a big part of what you look at as well. So where where are you looking to get those clues? It's my process. Um, and thanks for asking me that question. Uh, I, I won't go into it in detail. Fipest. But uh, with regard to the F, uh, I, am, I said on our last call that um, I placed greater emphasis on that because these markets are essentially rigged, uh, managed by the central banks, and in our case, the Fed. And uh, all the market needed, uh, all gold and silver needed to go in the opposite direction was a catalyst. And we got it. I thought it would be Powell. It turned out not to be at the FOMC conference call. But the next day, Lagarde provided us with one because the euro dropped when they were more dovish than expected. Euro drops at 60% of the Dixie. What did the Dixie do? It went up. Dixie and go, you can run this yourself. Have a near perfect inverse correlation right now. And yeah, correlations break down, but seeing is believing until it ends, stick with it. Mm-hmm. And then Friday, you got those ludicrous employment numbers, which support a hawkish stance on the part of the Fed. And then you see in the calendar that's Powell's speaking on when, uh, Tuesday and you're concerned like this guy's going to come out swinging. So all of those factors just were the catalyst for what was already signaled was going to happen. And mm-hmm. what do I mean by signaled? 
the main signal, well, there's a whole bunch of them, but sentiment was uh, uber bullish. Beyond, where we're back to the August 2020 peaks in bullishness. Now, all the people that were telling me, no, 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 it's not a nonsense. I'm looking at data and it's telling me that it's as high as it was at the peak, the record high in 2020. Not a good sign. Mm -hmm. It's a contrarian indicator. It tells us going south, but I don't rely on one indicator. Look at the MACD on both the daily and the weekly, but look at the weekly one. Did you know that it was as high as it was, not in 2020, since 2011 peak at 1923? Wow. I mean, that's 11 years ago. Uh, that, 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 you don't have to do any more analysis and go, holy hell, you know, that, the, that was the peak of the market that led to a drop for four years of, what was it, 1923 down to 1045? 46% or something like that. Mm -hmm. My point is that uh, the MACD was screaming overbought. And I sent, out, um, uh, I, I, I sent out a tweet saying this, and you can do it yourself. You go back to even just 2020 and look at every time the MACD reaches a peak and then dips in the, in the next week. It's the weekly MACD. When that MACD dips, the market tends to go down. But this thing had just kept going up and up and up, and then went to the 2011 behind, uh, high. And I said, it's a week or two of tops. Yeah, this thing, the, the, the first week you see this dick tip down, and gold and silver going down. Mm -hmm. Of course, RSI was overvalued. It was neg negatively divergent uh, two days before the peak. Uh, yeah, the MACD line had turned down. And this is on daily and weekly charts. Uh, to me, the, the, I focus on extreme signals. Go, and I've, done, I've developed that process going back to 2006. Extremities. I don't play the noise in between. I look for the extreme highs and the extreme lows because you increase your probability of success. And I will admit, I was early on this one. Uh, I originally started talking about a pullback in December. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was emphatic about it in the time you mentioned a little over a week ago, saying the peak in gold is imminent. Because I was looking at this MD, uh, MACD and it was like screaming at me, saying, uh, this is going down. And when I saw that it happened nine times in the past two years, that every time it turned down, to me it was obvious. All it needed was a catalyst. And we had a whole bunch of them uh, last week. Well, I thought it would be Powell, but then you had. ECB the following day, and then you had the employment data on Friday. And the rest is history. Now, we, we can pat ourselves on the back about what happened in the past, but what people really want to know is where did we go from here? <laughs> well, Dixie is going up right now. And that's something else I was forecasting for quite some time, and finally it's come to life. Uh, I, but, you know, when it goes above 106, you know, you're going to get all of the Dixie Bulls back in and go, oh, we're going to 120, we're going to 130, and milkshakes all around. Um, whereas I'm a, a believer in the Fed's trilemma when it's stocks, bonds, and uh, the dollar. It's those three. They can only, you know, uh, support two out of those three. Which one do you think they're going to sacrifice? The dollar to push up stocks and keep uh, uh, bonds afloat. Mm -hmm. And so I see it going to 106. They'll all get bulled up again. 
We may get up to 110, 111, and back down we go. And that is wave three of gold and silver just take off. And uh, so that's that's my short-term expectation. When I say short-term, we're talking weeks, probably March, that you'll see the peak in Dixie. You'll see the bottom in gold and silver. And if you're not buying that, I'm not going to use any expletives on this call, but it's going to be too obvious for words, in my opinion. The only way this breaks down is if we break 1750 uh, support in gold and, you know, for confirmation that something else is afoot, we go through 1618 low. Mm -hmm. I don't see it. There are other people out there who see that. I don't. We got a wave one. This is the pullback to a higher low. Uh, When that Dixie peaks and starts to turn around and go back down again, You'd be not. You'd be nuts not to buy gold and silver at the and the miners in particular. Mm-hmm. They're just going to go ballistic. David, when we get that reversal, what typically leads that move? Is it silver? Is it miners? Is it gold? Is there kind of a a set, let's say, a leading indicator that that tends to lead the rest of the pack? Yeah, it's but it's either gold or silver leads. Miners are always last. Um, but they tend to swap shirts, uh, to use a football term. Sometimes it's gold. Most of the time it's gold. Last time it was silver. Mm-hmm. So the most, the most recent rally was led by silver. And then the pullback in, uh, silver was far ahead of the top in gold. I believe that silver is going to lead out next time because it's underperforming for quite some time. And then when we get down there, it's silver that's going to lead the way up. But honestly, I don't care which one that does it. As long as you see one or the other start to take off, do you don't think the other one's going to fall? Mm-hmm. I mean, gold is the big brother and silver is the little brother, but silver is poor man's gold. And when this starts to become a mania, which it will, uh, silver is going to go up faster and higher than gold. And we know this based on precedent. From 1974 to 1980, gold went up 24x, silver went up 36x, 37x to be exact. Uh, From 2000 to 2011, gold went up 8x, silver went up 12x. Is there any reason to expect anything different this time around? No. But I expect it to be even bigger than that. Because Mm -hmm. we have a a GSR, gold-silver ratio, in the 80s. And it's up around 84, 85. That's got to go all the way down to about 15, the same level in the 1980s. So whatever gold does, you could have four X that in silver, five X, six X. Oh yeah, what is it? Closer to six X. Yeah, sorry, from eighties down to fifteen. Mm-hmm. I have to work on my math. Getting old. Well, it's a good thing you're a you're a trader and you can use a calculator from time to time, right? <laughs> oh, that's no, that's blasphemy. You know, yeah. If you start using the calculator for simple numbers, then you're certainly gone in the head. Yeah, but. Um, Look, I, I want to make some comments here that uh, I think uh, need saying. The Fed is still in control. Uh, despite all you know, comments to the contrary, what they say matters. Mm-hmm. And the, the question you have to ask yourself is, are they more likely to increase rates dramatically or reduce them? And my answer to that question is reduce them. 
Yeah, they've already ratcheted up rates. We could have a couple more. You could even have 75 basis points. Who cares? But when you're at 5.25, 5.5%, the risk reward is that way. And when that happens, it's usually because something's gone wrong. And uh, QT will end, QE will it'll reverse. And again, gold and silver go up. And I'm sorry to be so repetitive, but to me, it's obvious. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I don't see any other outcome. And I, I, I'm, ha I'm not happy to be wrong on this one because then it's going down. Mm -hmm. But I, I welcome any fundamental reasons. I, I can understand if you can use a chart and so forth, but give me a fundamental rationale, fundamental rationale for why gold and silver will go down. Now, the one caveat I will give there is if you get a 2008 crash and gold and silver will go down temporarily. But as we know from October 2008, gold saw what was coming next, the Fed's response. Now, that goes back to the key aspect of all this when I say the Fed is what really matters and the central banks at large. Look, the Fed has to decide whether they are going to inflate or die. What do I mean by that? That when the proverbial hits the fan, are they the 1929 Fed and they let it collapse? Which they may do, because that brings on the Great Depression and the Great Reset, conspiracy theories aside. Or they print. And based on history, they always print. Are the politicians going to allow them to outright default? Maybe, but it's unlikely. So you go with the highest probabilities. And if the Fed prints again, you get a, there's a law of diminishing marginal returns. And because of the level of the debt, when you print to support the markets, you got to print more. So if we got five, six trillion last time around, what are we going to get next time? 10 trillion, 20 trillion? Okay, you might support the markets for a time doing that. But what happens to confidence in the dollar? At that point. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say the end game is those guys are printing and zero rates, but the markets keep going down because everybody else has lost all confidence. And what do you think gold and silver are doing at that point? Mm -hmm. They're gone. You can't buy them. They're priceless, literally. They're gone. There's nothing available. People will be melting their candlesticks, you know, their silver candlesticks at that point. Mm -hmm. Um that's the end game uh, I see. I, I don't see any alternative to that. And I, I, I should allude to what uh, Zoltan Posner and Sergei Glazyev are talking about too. We talked. I talked about all the reasons why I believe gold will go down. Sorry, not gold. The dollar uh, and the loss of confidence. But at the same time, we've got de-dollarization going on, uh, led by the BRICS. And now the Saudis have basically dropped the petrodollar, which is the foundation of the dollar. And now we may have the petro one, but I won't get into that. I think the Chinese want a basket of currencies. They don't want to be the to own the global reserve currency because then they'd have to run a trade deficit. They don't want that. So you're going to get a basket of currencies backed by gold. How is this not obvious to everybody? What's going to happen? And I'm I'm not trying to be egotistical or like I know everything. It's just seems to me like it's just obvious that where the 
the trend is going. The de-dollarization is real and it got accelerated when the the US stole Russia's 300 billion. And now you got the Saudis dropping the petrodollar and they're being polite about it saying oh no no we we respect the US as well and this but but you just literally just dropped it. You you you're you're selling oil in yuan. And uh then you've got Posner and Lazyev talking about it uh and it's getting a lot of airplay about a new reserve currency backed by gold. What else do you need to know? The dollar is going down the toilet and gold and silver are going that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a key aspect because when you when you sit down with a piece of paper and you write down all of the reasons why gold and silver should go up and all the reasons why gold and silver should go down, it's going to be lopsided on one side. And this is a good thing. Normally, when something's lopsided on one side, you should go the opposite direction. But in this case, it's a no-brainer. Mm. And I'm trying the, to... I'm, the risk-reward. Yeah. Oh, it's enormous. I mean, uh, it, the reason I'm saying this is so that I, I just gave a silver coin to my neighbor across the road. I was talking to him. Uh, I had to run my battery in my car because the cold had... Uh, I was at risk that it wouldn't start. So I was running and he told, oh, you've been leaving that on for a couple of hours. Oh, I forgot all about it. Thanks very much. And I gave him a silver coin. We were talking for a while. And I said, because where I'm getting to is I want as many people as possible to protect themselves for what happens. I mean, you can't help uh, on a number of levels, maybe food, shelter, yada, yada. But financially, you need to own some gold and silver. Preferably silver because it's more barterable and it's a lower denomination and it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. It's an insurance policy, if nothing else. If you have a sizable amount of it, you become rich beyond your wildest dreams. We can deal with confiscation later. But those are your safe harbors. And from what I'm saying, I'm not trying to sell this to anybody. I'm just telling you that, in my opinion, Everything is lining up for a gigantic rally here. And I think this goes on for decades. I think people ask me, when are you going to sell your gold and silver then, David? And I have a quick and dirty answer for that. I'm only going to sell half of my physical gold and silver when the gold to S&P ratio and the gold to medium home price ratio in the US reach 1980 levels. Until then, let it run. Mm. Just stick it in a drawer. Let it gather dust, forget about it, and one day it'll pay off handsomely. And in my opinion, it's it's coming. Mm-hmm. David, the only thing left on my list here, and it, you know, it kind of relates to something you actually said. Like the Fed can defend the dollar, the stock market, or bonds, right? And it can only pick two of those. Being that you're a forex expert. And you've recently written that the Japanese yen isn't out of the woods yet. Do you think we can see short-term strength in that currency while they defend their bonds and kind of band-aid over these problems? And I think a part of that also comes back to that question of confidence in that currency, as we were talking about earlier as well. Yeah, we talked uh, we talked before in a previous call, and you know people can go back to that one. Um, uh, but there are numerous 
uh, trapdoors for the U.S. economy and U.S. markets. And one of them is uh, Japan. Uh, Japan could literally blow up. They've had to move their uh, yield cap uh, twice now from to 25 basis points, and now it's to 50 basis points. And the reason for that is, uh, to explain this simply to the listeners, in order to keep the yield down, you need to buy the bonds, but they're Japanese government bonds, so you need yen. So either two things happen. The Bank of Japan prints the yen and buys the bonds, Well, the problem with that is it's inflationary. And what does that do to the yield? It forces it up. So it doesn't really help. You're just, it's a a Band-Aid on a flesh wound. The other way is that they sell U.S. treasuries to buy dollar yen to keep it propped up. So you don't create the inflation associated with the printing of the yen. You print the yen. But you sold your U.S. treasuries at the same time. You use the uh, dollars. You sell them to buy yen, thereby keeping the yen stable. Mm -hmm. But as you've seen in the last two occasions where they had to raise the uh, yield cap, that was because that they couldn't prop up the yen. It was falling so fast. The risk is, this reminds me of the ERM crisis back in 1992 when George Soros attacked the British pound. And everybody thought, oh, the central bank is just too big or whatever. Who won that battle? George Soros did. He attacked it, he attacked it, he attacked it, he sold, he sold, he sold, and he eventually won. The market always wins. It was an unsustainable peg, and he knew it. Well, the yield cap has been moved not once, but twice already by Japan. Why not a third time? Not Why not a fourth time? Now, if you look at the debt to GDP of Japan, it's over 400%. What interest rate do you think they become insolvent? It's a little over 1%. So the risk is that there's a run on the yen. And if that happens and the dollar goes ballistic, then the whole world's going to collapse. The, 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 you've seen already as the, when the dollar went up to 115, what happened to the stock market? And what happened to emerging markets? Anybody look at Argentina lately? Uh, the, mar- the world, the global economy cannot withstand a dramatically higher dollar, at least not for long. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Yes, I think Japan is a real um, present danger to the global markets and global economies. Because if that blows up, and Japan isn't some Mickey Mouse country, it's not Zimbabwe. Uh, It's one of the biggest economies in the world. If Japan blows up, literally, it'll take down the entire world with it. Because if the yen goes, I'm surprised it's lasted this long, to be honest. Um, Europe's next. And, you know, the dollar may be the last one to fall, but it's going down. And I I honestly believe that's inevitable because they're they're pulling various levers to keep everything afloat. It's like that. uh, I saw that video of where they show Bernanke trying to bang various levers to keep the economy afloat. It's the same thing. They're trying to plug holes in every problem. But you're not so as my wife's a naturopathic doctor. You're not solving the underlying cause. You're just Mm -hmm. putting Band-Aids on. So eventually it's going to blow up in your face. And it's, it's only a matter of time, Tom, in, in my opinion. 
Yeah. And that's and that's just one. That's just one potential, you know, piano hitting you in the head. Uh, it, it's, 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 there's so many. So anybody who thinks that we're going to get through this, you know, just plain peachy, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Soft landing, sh- soft landing, David. Uh, well, I think yes. That's the technical term for it. Yes. We will get a soft landing though, Tom. Mm-hmm. We will. Because the CPI has just got lower. You know, it just magically just went down. But uh, and they start, you know, cutting rates and says, "Oh, we we did it." Well, an, an interesting then, thought then, I had, boom. an interesting thought I had. Well, when you were making that point, you know, I I always try not to not to interrupt, and we kind of got past it. But another useful case for for lowering CPI is to not keep raising the entitlements, right? Because pensions are based, pension adjustments are based on CPI. So if CPI mm-hmm. keeps going up, we have to keep keep ratcheting up entitlements too. So that, you know, is, is a, I don't want to say an honest way, but a a less overtly dishonest way of kicking the can down the road too. Right. Yeah. That's where they introduced hedonics in the first place, mm-hmm. you know, where they just saw, yeah, the, the, the technology is more advanced. So we should, it's, we should adjust that CPI down as a result of just making it up as they go along. And now they're, they're doing it with rents. So, yes, but uh, we know what the reality is. <laughs> and uh, when I was making that comment about uh, soft landing, I do believe that they're going to be able to claim, look, we succeeded, we did our job. And then it all blows up. <laughs> then it, it, it's, it, it's, it's a typical thing when every time Jim's, Jim Kramer comes out and says, stocks are going up, sell. And it's the same thing with the soft landing. When they declare victory, it's weeks or months when everything starts to go to hell in a handbasket in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And there's too many landmines out there. There's just just too many. We've we've we're reaching the end, peak point, peak dollar, uh, peak stocks, and the beginning of the biggest bubble you've ever seen in uh, precious metals. Sounds like every- a, sounds like a, a great uh, a great title for this. <laughs> well, uh, the, the mania is going to kick it. We're going to see the 1970s on steroids, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1980 was the biggest gains. That's when the biggest gains came in at the last year. We're only at the start here. And this could actually go on for decades. You know, that uh, uh, we'll see how it plays out. But let, let's just focus on baby steps. In the short term, pull back, load up. Then we'll go up. Well, we went up three fifty-seven. We'll at least go. That's about five hundred, six hundred dollars from whatever the bottom is. So say it's even seventeen fifty. Then we're now we're at what twenty-three fifty. Then another pullback in wave four, and then you're going to get another six hundred dollars, or seven hundred, or eight hundred, or a thousand. Because mm-hmm. God knows what the state of the world is at that point. And then you're at what three thousand, four thousand, five thousand. I don't know. What is silver at that point? Mm-hmm. Again, it. I had a conversation yesterday saying that in some ways it it doesn't even matter that that comparison for ounces of gold or silver in dollars doesn't matter anymore because it's the dollar ends up being so worthless. Exactly, but here's the here's the and this I'll end on this one, Tom. This is the from a financial perspective, gold and silver were only going to go up. When the world goes to hell, that's the that's the sad part about all this, and, mo- and most people are going to be roadkill when this happens, uh, as always. And when gold and silver goes up, 
it isn't just in dollar terms because the dollar is toast. Fiat currencies, it's not just the dollar. All fiat currencies are toast in the current uh, version. But the, if we get the 1930s all over again, you'll be able to buy a house for a dollar. And stocks go down to uh, a thousand on the S and P, but the real value is like a hundred. Um, uh, what else can we talk about? Bonds—they're worthless. So what, what's the point talking about them? My point is that the gold S and P ratio, the gold medium house price ratios, which are the ones are where I'm going to be selling and buying houses, and so if if I still can. Your gold has gone like this, and everything else has gone down here. Mm-hmm. So your gold isn't just worth five thousand, ten thousand, fifty thousand. It's worth a million, two million, three million because housing and everything else has gone down the toilet. You become rich behind your wildest dreams. You might have only like five million dollars, but it means you can buy five million houses. I, I, I'm not exaggerating. You just go back and read Benjamin Roth's uh, book, uh, The Great Depression, A Diary. It's all there. You could buy a Mac, Mac Mansion in Connecticut for a dollar. Mm-hmm. People were bulldozing their houses to not pay the property taxes. There was one guy for every 50 closed uh, bidding at every auction for 50 uh, foreclosed properties. I mean, it's your gold and silver is just on this, and everything else is done this. I mean, uh, I, I can't sell it anymore. I, 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 to me, it's, I'm just stating the obvious, but mm-hmm. everybody else can have their own mind on the topic. And my wife's waving at me in the, on the other side here, the boss. <laughs> so I, I, I better get off here. I, she knows me. I can talk all day. Absolutely, David. Well, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us today and you know, trying to trying to help, trying to raise awareness, trying to warn people. And I appreciate your your analysis as always. Of course, at Global Pro Trader on Twitter. And your your articles are available at Sprott Money. Anywhere else, David? SprottMoney.com and SilverChartist.com. Sprott Money, it's free. SilverChartist.com is subscription, but you can find me both there. And uh, yeah, I, I, the, the goal is to get the you know these metals into as many hands as possible. So we all do well. Because the more demand for less and less supply, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And thanks again, Tom. As I said at the outset of this discussion, every time I talk to you, everything plays out as I uh, as I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, not everything, but the important stuff. So we get this pullback and we go up. I'll, I'll, I'll buy you a pint. Sounds good, David. I look <laughs> forward to it. I look forward to our next one, Tom. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure too. David, thank you. Thanks very much. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests on this show are not compensated for their appearance. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Do not base any investment decisions on the information contained. To view our full disclaimer, please visit our website.